Welcome to the APDU Show. I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and joining me today is Niagara Falls Sports Hall of Famer and Canadian-ranked handball athlete, Brad Warren. Welcome to the show, Brad. How are you doing today, Todd? I'm great. Thank you. Before we get to handball, you got to hear about Brad's story with the, being born with the limb difference. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I was born in Niagara Falls General Hospital, and um, I was born with a congenital birth defect. Um, basically, um, my biblical cord was wrapped around my neck, and I put, placed my hand um, there to protect me and obviously uh, help me uh, continue life. Um, and I was um, basically had cell tissue damage and um, resulted in me missing my limb uh, when I was born. So. So was the limb, sorry, just to go back. So with, I'm demonstrating obviously with it, with my hand. So did the hand not develop at all or the limb was ca- kind of, or the umbilical cord refused the hand to grow or cut off the, the circulation yeah, to the so, hand? So it's, um, you know, back in 1972 when I was born, there were, there was a lot of questions that were asked and unfortunately not a lot of um, information was given to my parents that they could pass on to me. Um, I did have some preliminary information, but when I really um, got the most information I ever received, when I went to North York General, funny or not, funny story, but I go to a Toronto hospital to get information of, of, of a birthplace that took place in a Niagara Falls hospital. Um, the reason why I went there before, uh, when I got married and um, we wanted to have kids, I just wanted to just see if there was some genetic situations because I actually had no knowledge um, of the biblical cord situation. Um, so what I did was we went to North York and we went to a genetics uh, counselor and, it, you know, they asked me many questions and looked at some of my records and they came back to me with, uh, with the information that I never knew all my life until later in life that it was an biblical cord that actually, in, in, um, and I was, you know, put my hand was there and that caused the, 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 the self tissue damage for the growth aspects. Um, and there, I also found out there was, it's not a genetic situation. Um, so it wouldn't obviously be carried on to, uh, to, from, for my children, which I didn't know, you know, if, if this sort of thing is genetic. So I, my wife advised, let's go talk to someone. And, uh, it turned out to be good, two good things, right? I found out a little bit more about my birth in 1972 from a Toronto hospital. And then I also found out that, it, um, it's not going to affect my kids in any way, which I, I kind of knew that, but you know, it was good, just good for me to have some good dialogue and, and learn a little bit about it. Yeah, no, I think it's important to, you know, especially if you're going to be having children, you want to be prepared for um, what what challenges may come with, not that there's no challenges with pregnancy, with your wife and everything else, but of course, be prepared when when the child is born. Um, Growing up with with a limb difference, what was the experience like for you? So, you know, I had, um, my parents kind of looked at me as like, you know, and whether this is right or wrong, the way they brought me up was pretty normal. I, um, you know, I looked at my situation um, and the way that my parents brought me into, um, into the world. Um, they, you know, they, they guided me into some um, meetings with doctors to see if there were options for me. And I did go through some hospital, uh, some surgeries. Um, so there, I had some bone grafts up in uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in, in Toronto in Etobicoke. And um, when I was young, the first operation I had, they took some bone, a bone graft of my hip, added it onto my hand. Because you can see with my hand, I've got you know, kind of, I've got two, like some pinching movement. 
So I can, I can actually pick up a pen. So basically they thought, okay, well, let's work on these two, um, these two small fingers, I'll call them. And let's see if we can add bone to, to maybe get something that potentially looks like this. So I had bone grafts in both sides, um, my hips and my, my side of my ribs. Like I can't even explain what was done. But I had three operations with the bone grafts. And then when I was about 12, the uh, doctor suggested that I get um, my toe beside my middle, my big toe. So the, the one toe in from the big toe on both feet amputated and transplanted onto my hand. So I would have something that would look like Fincher. Yeah. And they actually had a, a child with both hands missing that they said, Brad, do you want to go meet him? I was 11 or 12 years old at this time. So I was at the um, St. Joe's. They walked me into the, into the room that the child just had the second hand done. And he had two, two pinchers and um, he was, you know, so young. He, he couldn't, I was young enough that I couldn't ask, you know, educated questions about, you know, whatever it may be, how, and I was kind of, it was an uncomfortable situation because it was also in a um, intense, you know, a pretty intense uh, section of the hospital. I was seeing other people and that was kind of making me a little upset. But when I did see the kid um, with both hands, he, um, you know, he, his parents seemed very happy and positive, And they said that the one hand that had, 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 um, had it done, he had already started to ho- hold a hockey stick and, and do other things with it. So it was hard because it wasn't apples to apples with me and him because he had both hands missing and I, I had just had one, one hand. So I decided my biggest decision, my parents were pretty good. They, they let me own pretty much 90% of the decision if I wanted to continue and go forward with that. And I was playing basketball. I was playing golf when I, call, when I, when I say golf, not real golf, but out in the you know, parking lot. I grew up in a neighborhood with about 10 other boys and we basically – played sports 24 seven, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And I was able to do these things and also keep the same level um, that my friends were at. In fact, sometimes even better level, um, which I later realized I have better athletic ability than a lot of people. Um, that said, I was, um, you know, I was playing, uh, um, I started hitting a handball against the wall. And we'll talk about that later <laughs> in my story, but the, um, my parents going, getting back to the decision, my parents gave me, autonomy to make the decision of whether I wanted to remove my toe. I was actually playing rep soccer. So my dad, being uh, a gentleman from England, didn't put me in hockey, which I regret that he didn't do, but he didn't do that. I play it now uh, in, a la- in later in life, I, or I did play it later in life, but not uh, as frequent as I'd like to. Uh, he put me in soccer. I was a rep soccer team, pretty high level, pretty good player on the team. Um, and I d- decided not to forego the amputee uh, of my toes to move to transplant to my hand to my hand. Decided not to go forward with it. So that's basically and, was the end of that. And you were eleven at the time, you said, right? Yeah. yeah. When when that decision was made, yeah. um, and then going three surgeries. Sorry, say that again. I already had three surgeries up until that when I was eleven to make that decision. So. So the last one was the doctor's like, well, we've maxed out your bone grafts and, you know, it, it's either you go for this or you don't. And they decided, OK, let's go to a prosthetic um, place in Toronto and let's get you fitted and let's see if you have, you know. So they actually t- I went to a prosthetic place when I was maybe 12 and I tried on stuff and then I went outside and they had a little area where I could, you know, throw a football or shoot some hoops just to try it out. 
And I realized I'm worse with the prosthetic. Not that I'm saying prosthetics are a bad thing. Don't, don't quote me or don't get me in. Don't under, try to get what I'm saying here. Didn't work for me. I guess the reason why it didn't work for me is because I had already been growing up all those years adapting to what I, my, my current situation. Later in life, though, getting into the fitness industry and lifting weights, I do realize that there could have been some huge opportunities for me to have prosthetics um, and adapt helping me with uh, free weights and certain machines in the fitness industry. So that's where that, that's how that, that part went in my life with the, uh, with the decision not to go forward with the surgery. Yeah, I find talking with a lot of folks with a limb difference, a lot of times it's because you've, you were born that way, as you say in your motivational speaking, <laughs> you just know it to be that way. So prosthetics may not be the right solution for you, if you will, yeah. right? And some people who have limb loss later in life also find maybe prosthetics is not for them. I know a number of upper limb amputees who just say, you know what, it's just easier without it sometimes. So it's not for everybody. It may be good for perhaps completing the look, if you will, more cosmetically, you know, that it's there. But to your point, being an adaptive athlete, there's certainly pluses to using adaptive connections to them. So you can hold the barbell, for example, or weights, or like you say, use the machines in the gym. I've seen those yoga ones, for example, where the end of it is flat, so you can mimic like a hand actually supporting you that that space to push you actually up in here you know when you're holding a pose or something so i think there are some benefits but not particularly for everybody and for everyday use i don't think in that case because again going back to you being born with it that's all you've known so why am i putting something i guess in lack of a better word alien in my body to do something i already know how to do something with without it does that make sense yeah, 100%. Um, I never knew otherwise, right? Until later in life. Um, two, two instances, getting, being in the fitness industry, I, I'm a certified personal trainer. I started in the industry in 96 as a trainer. I started to realize I, you know, um, I, I carried duct tape in my bag. I had tensor bandages and duct tape, and I would actually wrap the tensor bandage around my hand, then wrap it around the dumbbell or the barbell, and then I would put the, on the outside of the tensor bandage, I would wrap duct tape so I could do a bicep curl. And so in some cases, I would, do, I would put the tensor bandage and the duct tape on the bench press, the free bench press, not a machine bench press, so I could do some bench press exercises or shoulder presses. I realized later in life, God, this would be so much easier if I, if I had something. Um, I also realized going skiing when I was young. When they had, you know when they had those ski days? Um, I skied with one pole. And I, then I realized, well, you want to get from this point of – the ski resort to the other side of the ski resort, there's no hill. And I, then I had to push the pole through my middle of my legs and got a lot of funny looks and people saying, what the heck's that guy doing? But um, I realized, you know, maybe something that I could have had for those incidences, tying my shoes or going skiing or driving a car when I want to hold a coffee, maybe on the other with when I'm driving. So there are Obviously, and the technology, you know, you've hooked me up with, with that physician right now and a, a sensor capability in the, in the prosthetic, like it's, this is unbelievable. Some of the things that potentially could happen. So I'm very interested and open to, uh, to maybe learning and seeing if there are other things that I can use. The technology back then and now is completely night and day when I'm doing my research on a lot of these things. And 
even what I'm using now for myself and to what I see engineers are developing, it's amazing what, what I think the future holds for adapting things. But let's go back to you being an athlete. So talk to me about the whole becoming a, a Hall of Famer in Niagara Falls. Talk to us about that. Yeah, no problem. So it started with, believe it or not, basketball. So in grade seven, they had a, a middle school basketball team. And uh, I saw a poster on the wall and I said, oh, I, you know, I love basketball. We didn't even have the Raptors in Toronto when I was playing basketball. But Niagara Falls is a huge basketball community. Um, Jay Trano, uh, the coach, former coach of the Raptors, his dad was my high school principal. So basketball is huge in Niagara. Yeah. Um, and we competed against a lot of schools in the U.S. So we had we were competitive and we had strong basketball. So grade seven poster, I see it on the wall, tryouts for the basketball team. So I went in, saw the teacher. And I said, you know, I'd like to try out for the te- for the uh, basketball team. He says, he said, don't even bother. Don't even show up. You have one hand. You can't play basketball. They didn't have sensitivity training, <laughs> I think, back then. <laughs> so, you know, there's two, there's two paths I could take when I, when I had that comment. One is I could just say, yeah, you're right. I can't play basketball. I have one hand. Or I could, you know, I, I, I could get motivated. And um, I, that's what happened. I got really motivated. <laughs> almost to a point where I got bitter and anger, but that anger I focused and, and, uh, and put it towards my practicing. So I, you know, I remember going home and my mom bought me a plastic basketball at Zeller's. And, uh, you know, I took that basketball and I took it to school and I bounced it to school, bounced it back. I went out and practiced. We had a court in near around the corner from my house. So I played every day. Um, and I just kept practicing. And then Later in that year, the basketball, they had the intramurals where everyone can participate, co-ed, female, male. And, um, you know, I played so much basketball and I became so good at it. I led the intramurals in, the, in scoring, was the top defensive player on the team. And that teacher, we played their, his team in the finals, uh, that grade seven teacher that said, I can't play basketball. And uh, we beat them pretty easily. I think I scored 60 plus points in that game. Um, is that like the best glory ever right (laughs) so you asked the handball and i'm talking basketball but because um i really had a passion for basketball and i loved it i uh i started to i got involved with the community centers and the ymcas and i got on a select all-star team while i was playing select soccer i got asked to come on a select all-star basketball team for my age category so i started playing basketball on this rep team in the in the community centers and ymcas so I kind of got involved into you know the health and fitness industry um, through basketball, and I and then I saw guys doing weights. And one day I walk around the corner and I see this funny room. It's a square room, four walls and a ceiling, and I see these guys hitting a blue ball around, and I'm like, "What the heck is this? Can't they afford rackets? Like, is something wrong here?" And um, I go, you know, and the, the guy comes out. The the Saturday morning handball lessons. The guy comes out. And he says, "Oh, do you want to give this a try?" Um, and asked me to give it a try. And I went into the, uh, to the court and he saw right away that I was missing my, uh, my right hand. And he's like, didn't think about it. It was, he's one of those guys, eh? That just, you know what, let's, let's get in here. Let's try it. So he showed me the three strokes of handball. And, um, I started playing handball on the Saturday morning lessons. I'd come every Saturday morning and I found that made my basketball better because from an agility standpoint and reflexes and, uh, hold, I can go on with all the benefits of playing the sport from a ha- uh, hand-eye coordination level. Um, I started playing the game and I started to be like, wow, this is like, not only this is such a good, you know, this is a good relief. This is good sweat. It's a good, I'm meeting some good people. 
I do remember one time coming out on this Saturday morning. I think it was like the third or fourth week. I remember going into the washroom and they had thin walls there. And I remember one of the parents saying, I don't know why that guy's playing handball. He's got one hand. Handball is an actually an ambidextrous sport. So to play handball, you are to use both hands. So um, my coach at the time, he decided, well, let's try something. He made this little like work. Uh, he went to work a work store and got a leather glove and he padded the glove and we got some duct tape and we had like a padded glove and he's, you know, and I went in the court, no prosthetics. There's another opportunity for prosthetic uh, for handball players. Um, so I get in the court and I start hitting with this, um, my right hand with the uh, glove and the ball kept just flopping past. It wasn't strong enough to uh, handle the, the pace of the ball coming at me at, you know, at a, at a high speed. So then he realized, you know what, use your backhand. So I started to like tennis, right? Tennis, you have, you have a backhand swing and a forehand swing. So I started to develop this backhand swing when I'm playing handball and um, realized that when I'm doing, um, when you're playing handball, you actually put spin on the ball. So when you hit the handball, my hand's actually rotating over. So the ball is actually spinning. When it hits the front wall, it has what's called a hop. So it, it hits the front wall, it comes back, it hits the wood, it actually hops. Um, realized that I was putting so much spin on the ball that it was actually uh, helping me win because guys couldn't read where I was placing the ball. And I was also putting so much spin on the ball that the ball was hopping pretty good. Like sometimes even a foot, it would hop. Um, I started to go in tournaments. He entered me in tournaments. I started to win tournaments. I started to uh, enter some national tournaments. I won the Canadian national championships when I was 17 years old. And that's when I got inducted into the uh, Niagara Falls uh, Hall of Fame. So it was a pretty good uh, experience. And, you know, when I was in that finals for that um, tournament, I was in the, again, in a locker room of a fitness facility. And, um, you know, I hear a couple guys talking to the, the guy I played and they said, oh, and I heard them say, you should have no problem with that guy. Just serve his backhand, serve his right side because he's got no hand. And uh, again, you know, that thought of that teacher that told me I can't play basketball got back into my head and motivated me even more that every point in that match, I played to the death. <laughs> I dove on the floor. I had, my knees were bleeding. I was going to win that match, and I won that. I won that match, and that's how I won my my first Canadian national championships. So wow, that's yeah. that's awesome. You know, again, it's those things that um, that prevents us, or not prevents us, but it's those barriers that people put up for us. The older form of ableism, I guess, is that how's that guy how's that guy going to play? If you know, if he's only got one hand or whatever, and oddly enough, the name the the, the name of the game is handball. <laughs> how you know how does he even play? But to your point earlier, as an athlete myself, absolutely. If you're naturally rolling rolling that ball or putting a spin on that ball, I should say, because that's what you naturally do, and that's an advantage. Absolutely, I'll take you in as a co like as in my team. Why not? Right? <laughs> you know, like I. So one of the challenges I have as a pair thrower is that because I played basketball for so long that I have a hook in my, when I throw, mm. which is bad for throwing because you don't want the hook because it shortens the distance of the throw. You want a flick, which is much higher, right? To give the distance, to give the, the, the shot put distance. But I have a natural hook because of playing basketball since I was a kid. Even wheelchair basketball, you still have a hook because the direction of the ball is a is a hook or hoop movement, right? Whereas in shot put and throwing, it is not. It is height. 
yeah. not right. So if your if your hand naturally does that, why not? Like that's an advantage more than anything to distract the opponents, not you know, not knowing where your ball is gonna go or or sort of figuring, oh, I thought the ball was gonna go here and it didn't. So yeah. you know, those are trick shots. So you got this when you were in you so that was under seventeen that you were uh, inducted into the National yeah. Hall of Fame. Yeah. So you, you talked a little bit about the um, how the, the game is played. So can you tell us exactly how the game is played? Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's an amazing game. It's um it's da- it, it's one of the oldest sports in the uh, dated back to the Baths of Rome. Um, there's many variations of handball. Um, there's um, basically there's one wall. Where, so that's what we've been playing a lot right now because of the pandemic. Um, it's outside. Um, there's tons of air, there's tons of space. So we're able to social distancing. And if we do get close, we, uh, we call what's called a hinder. We call it, we joke and call it a COVID hinder. Um, and what, uh, we just stop play and we just re restart the serve or the, uh, the rally so that uh, everyone's safe and, uh, we're following the rules and regs. But so one wall is really big in New York city. Um, one wall has been around for a long time. There's different variations that in Spain, in the Basque region, they call they have a different version of the game. In um, England, they call it wall ball, which is um, the same game that we play here in Toronto. Um, we have uh, in, in England, they even have a game called fives where you can kick the ball. So you can use your hands and you can kick it. So probably because of the, the you know, the soccer uh, um, background in Europe. Um, in Italy, they've got a game uh, that's different where there's like you hit the ball across a net, similar to tennis, but you use your hands. So there's so many variations of handball, but basically the three big ones are one wall. So it's just one wall in the middle of a field and it's lined around the exterior and you have to keep the ball within that, that lined area. And so it's similar to badminton. There's, um, well, badminton, obviously the ball doesn't bounce, but you're only allowed one bounce. So basically you hit the ball past the service line. So you hit the ball, it hits the wall. Say that's the wall. The ball hits the wall. It comes across the service line. And then your rally starts and whoever can hit the ball the lowest, it's called a kill shot. Um, that ball that just rolls out on the bottom and bounces more than one time, then you get your point. You can only get the point on the serve. So one wall um, is, is not the game I started with. I actually started with four wall. So four wall is a, the traditional game. The, uh, a lot of Irish immigrants brought it over to North America and they started building courts um, you know, it, it's a 20 foot by 40 foot uh, room with a ceiling on it. So what's amazing about um, four walls, you can actually use all the walls, including the ceiling. So you serve the ball and then you would um, get into a rally situation. And a lot of times if you want to get the guy, you want to you want to own the front of the court because that's where you can try to get the ball uh, low. Um, so a lot of times you'll you can do what's called a fish shot, um, which is, you know, a really good uh, benefit of having two hands and being ambidextrous in handball later in life, I deci- decided it's the most awkward shot ever. And again, it puts on some ridiculous spin, but I turn my hand and I do a, a backhanded fist uh, shot. It's almost like a, not a normal way your arm or your shoulder should move. So I've been experimenting with it in my, you know, as I get into my um, older time, I have to be more creative because some of the younger guys have speed, agility, and power. Um, so I'm getting a lot more creative with my shot selection. Um, and, um, I use that backhand shot. So you actually hit a fist shot, hits the ceiling, and what it does is it bounces down and it forces your opponent into the back of the court where you can then 
uh, take advantage of the front court and you can uh, then try to end the rally really quick by owning that front court. Then there's three wall. So three wall is there's a front wall, there's two side walls, there's no back wall. So the benefit of uh, three wall guys that are strong and power hitters do very well in three wall because they can, you know, they can keep pushing you to the back by hitting it really hard and fast. Uh, and then if the ball passes you, the ball passes you, right? You, there's a little back wall to, uh, for you to be able to uh, set up and re-hit the ball to the front. So the three games, I, um, I grew up with four wall. I'm the, probably the best at four wall, but I'm really, um, during this pandemic, I've really grown a huge passion for one wall. Now, there's two different types of balls for handball. There's a small ball, it's a harder ball, and it's, there's a big ball, which is mostly used in New York City um, in the one wall uh, scene. The small ball, a lot of people don't play it because, you know, I wear two gloves when I play small ball. Sometimes guys wear liners and then a leather glove over top. It does hurt. and You can get bone bruises. Probably one of the reasons why um, we don't have a lot of players in Canada because the small ball has discouraged a lot of people from playing, picking up the game because of the, you know, it doesn't, it's not fun. Um, to quote one of our handball players in Toronto, um, he's, he said, handball, it's not the sport for the average citizen. And he's right. It's, it's, you know, I have a buddy of mine who does Ironmans and says they're easier than playing three hours of handball. An Ironman? <laughs> so the game's pretty, pretty cool game. And, um, you know, the wall ball, a lot of people can adapt and a lot of other people can play the big ball. It's easier. Um, and that's how we're going to grow the game and getting new players coming out. Um, in Mexico, they have a game called Fronton, which is a version of, handball um they also have there's a game called highlight which you've heard of which is a big like a sling and you, you fling the ball which is another variation of handball so there's all these variations of handball we're trying to unite it under one uh and we think wall ball one wall with the big ball is the way to do it we have guys that i posted on facebook um front on page come on out and try one wall we have four guys from mexico uh that come out and play handball now with us play one wall with, with us and they picked it up like that. I have um, kids that can have, you know, just an athletic kid that I bring out, uh, uh, my son's uh, buddies, they can pick up handball like that, no problem. I was just thinking, I, growing up in, in Scarborough, I remember playing handball. Uh, I, I think we called it red ball. Is yeah. it the same idea? Different variations, right? There's, that's the problem. There's never been a united version of handball or wall ball. And, you know, there's, there's games where you actually hit the floor first. And in the game I play, you want to hit the wall first and then, you know, hit it. Um, so, yeah, tons of kids played it. It's, it's a, you know, the sport, it's, it's huge for people because it's a low-cost sport, low entry. Um, it, you know, Mayor Giuliani built 200 courts in New York when youth crime was going through the roof. And I don't know if handball helped the situation, but there was a decrease the percentage of youth crimes after he built those 200 courts, there's 20,000 kids playing handball in New York City. In Toronto, we probably have 25 people playing it. So I, I think there's a huge opportunity for youth, people of all abilities to, to get a sweat, to move, and to enjoy this game. It's, it really is a beautiful game. Obviously, I'm passionate about it. And I'm passionate about a lot of sports, um, but this one is near and dear to me. So, Right. I was going to ask you... Um where do you see the handball movement in Toronto or in Canada in general? If you have 25 players, how many, how many players do you think there are in Canada to even have 
uh, Canadian team even to say, okay, we're so that we'll have a national talking about back to your days um, as a hall of famer, you know, you've gone national. Where do you see Toronto first as, you know, holding a Toronto one and then maybe an Ontario provincial one. And where do you see handball going across provinces? So I, I'm throwing out numbers and I, I'm not sure the accuracy, but I'm pretty sure I could say there's less than a thousand players in Canada total. Um, the, um, the junior program is the future for us because we've got to get kids playing the sport. A lot of them, you know, they get into university, they get into fun and they, they stop the sport, but then they come back later in life because they realize there's, you know, they need to get some exercise and move. You know, a lot of guys will come back. A guy from the handball lessons that moved to Toronto, um, came back and started hitting with us the last two weeks. And he just picked it up like riding a bike. Um, I think the game, um, wall ball is the way to go with the big ball because people get discouraged with a small ball. I think we have a Canadian handball association. We have an Ontario handball association. All the tournaments that are done are four wall tournaments. So there's not anything a pay. Uh, there's not a lot of attention paid to one wall and the big ball. And I think that's the future of handball is we could, you know, start doing tournaments with, uh, you know, the one wall court with the big ball. And um, the maybe rebranded wall ball. The reason why they, they they like that name is because handball, even though it's the oldest sport in the world, some people get it mixed up with European handball, which is the Olympic sport, similar to basketball, uh, soccer. But they, you know, where they, yeah, not similar to basketball, but they can throw the uh, they can throw the ball with their hands. That's handball, and you know that confuses a lot of people when we say handball. Um, it's that's why we've started to leverage the word wall ball for marketing purposes. But where do I see it? There are world tournaments. Um, New York is actually thinking in 2021 of hosting a, uh, a world wall ball championships. And uh, we would like to put a team in that. So we will, we will have a tournament in 2021 in Canada. And we will send um, a male singles player, a male doubles team, a female singles player, and a female doubles team. So we'll send um, basically um, six people and maybe an alternate if someone obviously can't play and a coach and we will send them to New York for the, uh, the world championships. Um, will we do well? No. Uh, will we win it? No, but we, uh, we've started to make, um, uh, make some, some, we've strived, we make some strides to uh, doing pretty good in the sport. How do you now you're clearly again, very passionate about the sport and, and, and advocating for the sport. How do you get people involved not so much players involved first but the city for example involved in either allowing you to play handball or a wall ball we should just use the term wall ball uh, in the city where 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 can the city or where can ontario the province or canada in general create a movement where it is more recognized as a true sport instead of a you know, these are where the kids play during recess in a wall at school. I think what we need to do is we need to build more courts. There's only one court in Toronto, Stan Waldo Park, Cosburn and Woodbine, just south of the, Dan- uh, sorry, north of the Danforth. Um, it's the only court in Canada that was donated um, by a handball player. Um, we actually, um, a lot of people use it for tennis and um, squash guys, because a lot of fitness clubs are closed, have been playing there as well. Um, we, we need to build courts. I think the key to success is building, um, 
some courts in in um, in areas where it's needed. You know, I live in Scarborough, and one of my goals is to get a couple courts in a couple communities in the Scarborough um, and build some courts. And then it's pretty easy. You get the balls in the hands of of coaches and kids and anyone. You get the ball. It's a ball and a wall is all you need. You teach them the game and you maybe have some leagues and you get people integrated that way and people will love it. It'll take off. So just thinking back, I don't see my, and you tell me, you, you just said you just need a wall and a ball. I don't see how it's different than having a wall and a, and a community center that's already built, for example, or just about to be redesigned and built to have a clear wall ball court, if you will, air quotes, and just painted the lines that you need. Make sure it's it's a flat surface. And just like in our multi-purpose gyms, where there's different lines for different sports, I don't see how that's difficult for a community center to adapt a wall ball or introduce a wall ball game in their community centers or new built community centers to include wall ball. Like, where do you think the disconnect was in building these centers to add a wall ball court? I think the disconnect is the, you're right. There's walls in the community centers already. There's parking lots that are flat. So there's lots of situations. There's even schools where we could go in and, and put up a, 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 the lines and the court and inter- integrate the kids into the game. The disconnect is the, you know, we've, I'm an advocate, but I'm not a full-time advocate. And I've, um, you know, I pushed our numbers this year. We went up nine players that were introduced to the game this year. Um, and we increased our numbers, but at the, to bring it to another level, we need more courts. And we, we need that advocate, that cheerleader to go to those community centers and meet with those politicians, those, those leaders of the communities and try to get these courts built. And, uh, you know, I, I want to do it, but I'm not doing it as, as well as I could for sure. Right. So where where can people find more about a wall ball in Canada? So you said there's an Ontario wall ball organization and a Canadian wall ball organization. So yeah. if I'm if I'm interested, where can I find um, you and where can I find uh, the wall ball organizations in Canada? So we have a Facebook page, Canada Wall Ball. Um, we have on a website, Ontario Handball Association. Um, the Facebook seems to be the biggest vehicle of communications. We also add a lot of people to a messenger board. So we let people know when we have uh, fun nights. We let people know when we have more competitive nights or days. Um, and we let people know about any upcoming tournaments. Um, we also um, have the ability to, if someone um, pays $37 for gloves and a ball and eye guards, because you need eye guards, um, if they play within... Um, I think there's a minimum five to 10 times within a calendar year, the Canadian handball association will refund them that $37. So they'll, they'll, they won't be paying with, for that kit. So that's, it seems to be organized already. So I'm, I, again, I have a disconnect in my head. Why this isn't played more. (laughs) I'm putting my athlete hat, hat on and I'm questioning why it's not played more when it's that accessible from a funding perspective, it's that accessible in terms of courts. Maybe reality is it is not because, as you say, there's one one court that you play in regularly. But if there's funding like that where 
it's an easy and accessible entry, such a low entry to your point earlier, to get into the sport. And it's clearly an easy, even me thinking about it, it's an easy activity for someone to get into, yeah. right? All you need is just thinking about throwing a ball and running across. How long is the distance of the court? Let's just go with that. 20 feet by 40 feet. So same as a volleyball court, right? Yeah. It's definitely shorter than a basketball court. But the, I think the width and the length of it is just, it's accessible. Yeah. A, a, a grade eight student can play handball growing up through their high school age. So again, I, I guess I'm missing where we're dropping the ball, yeah. <laughs> if you will, with um, getting more players to come out or, or getting the sport to be out more in the open where everybody uh, can, you know, can play because it's such an accessible sport the way you're describing it to me. Yeah, and I don't totally. see why communities cannot support it in that way you know i really hope that you do again i remember playing it as a kid what we called it red ball i think is what we played it and we played on any wall we could think of and we got in trouble a lot because sometimes you'll play it with a small tiny ball that hurts people like i mean it hurts you because if you're in the way of it and it got thrown at you or whatever it's just like getting hit by a paintball right you get a a little bruise for a day or two and then it kind of goes away but the harder you hit it the better you are at the game and that's more impressive to your friends that you're playing with. So again, it's such an accessible sport to me and I don't see why people are not doing it just for fun activities even and not do it at, at an elite level. Now, speaking of elite levels, you talked about going to New York City for it. Are there elite players in Canada now that you would be preparing for the 2021 games, let's say? Yes, we have, um, we have probably three or four guys that could potentially scare or upset some of the players at this tournament in New York. Um, when, I, when I mean that is, again, our game, the Canadian game, is, and this, these are getting back to the point of, you know, it's such an accessible sport. Why are we not doing well? Four wall has kind of been the, the prevalent sport that we focused on in Canada. You know, some of the risks we face with wall ball is we, you know, Canadian uh, weather and our winters don't aren't conducive to playing full time. Um, the second part is, you know, we don't have any uh, big community or politicians that play the sport, like Philadelphia, New York City, Los Angeles. Um, they have they're flourishing. Uh, London, London, Ontario, London, England is flourishing because they have those advocates at high level positions that uh, see this you know, it's an easy accessible sport for children and for all people. Um, but the, um, you know, the, uh, I forget what you asked me. <laughs> the challenge in Canada. Uh, the challenge in Canada for us is, um, you know, we will have, we have people that will compete um, and could, like I said, could scare some people, but not the top players. We wouldn't uh, prob- we wouldn't do very well against some of the top players. We did go in a tournament um, nine years ago. I we had a qualifying tournament at our four wall tournament. We actually had to use a double squash court for our one wall court, which we taped with um, duct tape to make the lines. And um, I actually came in second in that tournament, so I qualified for the doubles team. Um, the, the number one player, the winner, actually uh, didn't want to go to the tournament, but it was in Imperia, Italy. Uh, the Liguria region, and it was unbelievable. And there was a team from uh, Mexico. There was a U.S. team. There was a um, 
huge game in the Netherlands. They love the game. The Spain had a, Spain had a team. Italy had a team. France had a team. England had a team. And we competed in that tournament. We had uh, one win against France. Um, other than that, we got annihilated. And the biggest challenge for us was, well, one, we didn't know how to play the game properly. Um, two, we, uh, we you know, were just trying to keep the ball in the court. And these guys are like just – it's like another level. It's hard to explain. It's like a it's like a uh, OHL player, you know, that just started in the OHL trying to play a game in the NHL. So it's another level up. Right. So, so it sounds like just – I'm a little bit over the place here now. It sounds like um, you have an organization already around the world, and you said handball is already played in the Olympics anyway. Do you see it ever, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because I've never heard of a pair of handball or a pair of wall ball. Do you see it ever transitioning and including a pair of handball organization? So handball, wall ball, my game, is not in the Olympics. That's the European handball game that we discussed earlier. Um, to answer your question, totally see this as a possible para sport and would be, um, you know, would love to introduce this and meet with, connect with the right people to, to see if this is something um, that could potentially happen. I think that this sport could be, you know, I, you know, I see the speed of the, of the guys with the wheelchair rugby and I see the speed and agility of the, of the basketball wheelchair players, um, not including lower leg, you know, um, disabilities. Anyone could play this sport. I think it would, we could have a wheelchair wall ball situation. We could have a non-wheelchair um, situation as well. I think it would be huge. And it, maybe this is when we can do it, one of our next little meetups. So we'll introduce right. everyone to the sport. Because, yeah, I, again, I'm just thinking as a para-athlete myself, it's how we adapt the game. Like you said, the speed of the wheelchair rugby players, wheelchair tennis players, uh, wheelchair basketball, wheelchair tennis players – are very fast. I played wheelchair tennis myself and I couldn't keep up. Yeah. Right. I played wheelchair basketball that I'm, that it's, that was an easy pair transfer to me because I played basketball before I became disabled. So, but wheelchair tennis, absolutely very fast sport pair table tennis, right? Pair badminton is a fast sport. So all of these sports are already in that range of wall ball and handball, I feel, as you were describing them to me, you know, and if you're saying to me that you already, there's already organizations across the globe that has a handball, wall ball competitions going everywhere and an elite level of athletes, I could easily see that those organizations in those countries coming together to say, here's how we now create a parallel sport to offer um, accessibility for those who, or those with mobility issues to to play the sport. I think that's an easier chance for it if there's already a unified qualifications for it and how play is played, how the game is played. I think you guys are further up in the putting together a pair of sport. Yeah, I think the um, the accessibility aspect is the is a positive, right? Because I could tape up a wall at a community center or the side of a school. Um, I also see potential for a lot of para-athletes um, supplement their, their existing sport with handball to increase their agility, their hand-eye coordination. Um, it's such a good cross-training sport. 
Um, Mike Tyson played handball, although he was a horrible handball player. His manager, Jim Jacobs, was a world champion in handball. And he, he used cross-trained cross and played handball to help him with his boxing. Um, um, Dwight Howard came out and played one ball in New York and was a disaster. Uh, it was too hard for him because of the speed and the, uh, you know, the reflexes uh, uh, components in handball. But he came out and tried it. And, you know, um, Babe Ruth was in a baseball slump. And when he played for the Yankees, and he, there's actually pictures of him in a handball court that he attributes getting him out of his slump for his hand-eye coordination and his, his speed and agility to uh, connect with the ball. So it's pretty interesting. But, yeah, lots of opportunities. I'd love to get some, some people from Parasports out to learn. Oh, I think that, that's a great idea. So, again, let's just remind everybody, where can they find you and where can they find um, everything about uh, handball and ball ball? So for us... Wall Ball Canada on our Facebook page is a starting point. We also um, have Ontario Handball Association. You just type in Ontario Handball and we'll come up. Um, if you want to look at things on a national level, you can look up at Wall Ball uh, World and on the website and you'll be able to get uh, some more information of some of the stuff that's happening worldwide. Okay, sounds good. And then where can they find you? Are you on Twitter, Instagram, or uh, Facebook? I might be, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I uh, don't even. I can't even. Don't even know my Twitter. I think my Twitter and Instagram handles the same. So it's at Brad B Warren. So it's Brad lowercase B Warren, and that's the exact same. Uh, so B W A R R E N. And uh, the uh, find me on Twitter, Brad Warren, and you can find me on Instagram, and I'm also on Facebook. We can include you on our messenger board as well let you know of uh, handball opportunities if you want to come try it. Some sounds great. Well, thank you, sir, for, for, for being here today. I want to thank Brad Bourne for joining me today. I'll provide all the links on my website at www.aristotelamico.com. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The Amputeer Show. Until next time, I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and this has been The Amputeer Show Podcast.